Hey guys, it's Morgan Bird here. I'm the associate pastor at Palmetto Shores Church, and I'm sitting here with Kyle Stewart. Kyle just taught us tonight at our Sunday seminar uh, on the book of Judges. Uh, basically what happened is um, on Sunday evenings uh, in uh, every other month, we're going to be having these Sunday seminars. We gathered and we actually spent some time in prayer. Uh, tonight our prayer emphasis was on our local schools. We lifted up our local schools to the Lord and we also just shared some prayer requests and, and prayed for one another. Uh, but then Kyle opened up Judges chapter 1 and he carried us through chapter 3 verse 6 and we really looked at the introduction to the book of Judges. And so uh, we're going to be trying to cover the whole book of Judges in four weeks. And after each Sunday seminar, we're going to get on here on this podcast and just kind of talk a little bit about some of the highlights from the section that we covered. And so, um, man, Kyle, first and foremost, when I was th- uh, you know, listening to you this evening, I really thought it was helpful to just get a sense of where the book of Judges is in the sense of history. And you shared a little bit about what the timeline is leading up to the book of Judges. So how do we get to the book of Judges in the Bible? Yep, so the book of Judges is uh, just continued the narrative uh, that we see in the first few books of the Bible. And um, you got um, Israel who's been in exile in Egypt and uh, they get brought out. Um, they're in the town of Moses and they spend the 40 years wandering around desert and then Moses dies and then Joshua becomes a leader and uh, you got the book of Joshua that um, kind of takes Israel through um, the land that they're going to be conquering, uh, taken back that the Lord promised them. And uh, by the time we get to Judges, um, this is towards the end of Joshua's life and they've spent a good bit of time um, going around and reclaiming this land. Uh, But now uh, Judges picks up in the narrative um, after the death of uh, the jo- after the death of Joshua, and but it's before when we see the kings start to rise up um, in First Samuel, when uh, we see King Saul as the first monarch uh, for Israel. Uh, this is kind of a time when there was no leader, no set um, person in charge. It was kind of a free-for-all, uh, kind of a dark time during this um, point in Israel's history. Cool. So it's almost like if, if you're the kind of person that wants to think in like figureheads, you've got Moses and then you've got Joshua. And then maybe you would jump ahead to the kings. Like the first king is Saul and then King David. We, we know those are big names. So Judges is kind of like what happens in between that. So what happens in between Joshua and then Saul and David? Um, so that is that kind of how it fits in the it fits in the timeline, right? Yep. Okay. Um, and I know, I know this man at the end of Joshua, there's this like really famous passage where Joshua's kind of challenging the people, uh, to be faithful to God, to serve him. Almost. I think that that famous line of like, choose this day whom you will serve. And he kind of lays out for them, uh, what's going to happen if they do obey God, what's going to happen if they don't obey God. And it seems positive. Like Joshua ends so positive. It seems like they've entered into the promised land. It seems like they've conquered and driven out all the nations, and then um, there, you start to read Judges chapter 1, and as you, you pointed out tonight, there's this refrain that comes up again and again and again. It's like on repeat in chapter 1. And so uh, why don't you tell us, like, what, what is that refrain that we saw over and over and over in chapter 1, and why is it so disheartening coming out of, jo- coming out of the book of Joshua that seemed so positive? Yeah, so coming out of Joshua, uh, it seems as if Israel is... Uh on top of the world. They're taking back the land uh, that God has given them. God's the promised land. And uh, we leave 
uh, this time from Joshua headed into um, after his death and uh, this constant uh, theme that keeps popping back up is that uh, the Israelites forgot God's promises and they did what was evil in their own eyes and um, you know there was no set leader so um, they forgot um, all the time uh, of, of Joshua and um, those around him so this whole generation has grown up and has forgotten God's promises they've um, gone and done what is good in their own eyes they've completely um, co-inhabited with other pagan religion and has disregarded anything that God has led them out of. So after, you know, this generation of wandering around and then um, seeing God provide for them the land that he promised them, uh, now that they're kind of on this other side, um, they constantly find themselves forgetting um, who God is and his promises and um, they just do what's good in their own eyes. Yeah, man, it, it strikes me at the beginning of chapter two, uh, there's this, there's this refrain, uh, it says that an angel of the Lord appeared and he's, he's talking to the people there. And there's this, there's this line that gets repeated throughout the entire rest of the Bible. And it starts this way. I brought you up from Egypt. And so we're going to see th that phrase over and over and over in the Old Testament. God reminding the people that he had redeemed them, that he would brought them out, that they were in slavery, that they were stuck, that he brought them out and he'd saved them and brought them into the promised land. And then there's this thing that happens again and again and again where we see the word, but. So I brought you out of Egypt, but, and then it says uh, in verse two, you have not obeyed my voice. And uh, you were just kind of talking about this, but it was in verse 10 that really this really um, stuck out to me. This is chapter, Judges 2, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord for the work that he had done for Israel. And so like you're saying, man, like they forgot. Like they forgot what God had done. They forgot who God was. Um, so I don't know, man. Let's just pause for a second and think practically for our lives today. Like, what, what do you think, you know, in your mind, in your heart, like in studying this, this book, like what would be some things that would cause one generation to rise up? And after maybe one generation did know the Lord, the next generation turned from the Lord. Like what might, what, what would potentially be some things? I know you at least mentioned one tonight when you were teaching, but what, what might be some things that would derail uh, a generation from ra being ra raised up to follow and know the Lord? I think one would be uh, not experiencing the uh, blessings from God right away. Um, having a time of wondering and not really knowing um, if you're going to experience God's grace in that moment, um, it'd be easy to grow weary and um, not want to wait for God, mm -hmm. but to kind of take things in your own hands, which mm -hmm. we see a lot um, throughout Scripture. But um, I think after you know, you have a generation that has this experience, and then the next generation grows up and doesn't have that experience. It almost feels like, uh, you know, they're getting gypped almost. But um, instead, it's just a lack of truth being told that uh, you're not experiencing God's grace um, in the way that you think you are because you're choosing to take things into your own hands rather than um, seeking to uh, follow God's glory seek his glory first so um i think in one way the 
a generation can grow up and not see that is that um, they don't experience in the same way, so they assume that it doesn't exist. Mm. So, um, yeah. That's good. I, man, I, it, it makes me um, think of something else you said too tonight as you were teaching, you were talking about maybe maybe a cycle that we've seen, particularly in the southern states of the United States, where um, maybe a generation grows up and they believe the gospel, but they don't really, they're not really clear in teaching their kids what the gospel is. And so maybe their kids pick up like some of the good morals or they pick up some of the good attitudes that come from Christianity, but they're not super clear on exactly who God is or what he's done for us in Jesus. And so maybe that, maybe that generation grows up maybe acting like good and moral people, but not really believing. But then it's that next generation that really suffers because now they're like, two generations removed from the actual truth of the gospel. They're two generations removed from the truth of God's word. And so um, I think it was, uh, I think if this is kind of off the cuff, this this author named Max Stiles, he talked about um, it's the generation that assumes the gospel that ends up uh, being the generation that loses the gospel. And so if you assume the truth, if you assume that like, oh, of course my kids will remember the Exodus. Of course they'll remember that God brought us into the promised land. Of course they'll remember. And well, guess what? Like they didn't. They didn't remember. And um, there's there's always like responsibility on both sides. Um, but I really, I loved how you kind of kind of applied that to our current context. And I think we, we do see that so many times. Um, man, I know back in chapter one, the refrain that really stuck out to me um, that, that you drew out was this, this kind of idea of like, they did not drive out. They did not drive out. They did not drive out. And so they were supposed to come into the promised land and drive out, um, all the nations that were there. And God had given them really clear instructions. You took us back to Deuteronomy and showed us, showed us where all the way back, this was like before the promised land, God had already had this design where he wanted his people to go into the promised land and drive everyone out. Well, the very first chapter of Judges, we start reading it and we realize they didn't do that. They were not driving out the people like they were supposed to. And that led to um, what I think you called co-inhabitation. And so it was God's people living in the land with these other peoples. And so uh, you kind of asked the question, I think, I can't remember exactly what you asked to the group tonight, but it was something along the lines of like, why would God care about that? And so um, I kind of want to turn the question back on you and have you answer your own question. Um, why was the co-inhabitation such a big deal? Why did God care uh, that his people would drive out the drive out the, the other peoples, and why was it such a big deal that they didn't drive out the other peoples? Yeah. So this kind of picture is um, takes me back a couple of years. My first ever seminary paper I ever wrote was on Joshua and the genocide of the Canaanites, um, and that was a a uh, a. a uh, um, a story that really kind of shook me up a little bit when I first read it um, in its uh, entirety that God would allow his people and command them to drive out and destroy another people group um, because he didn't want to have them co-inhabitate. So um, while that was a big theme in Joshua, uh, we see that continuation through Judges and um, I just kind of thought back on, you know, as I was researching and writing that paper a couple years ago, um, why does God not want us to have, why did God not want them to have that? I can't say us, but uh, why did God not allow that or not want that to happen? And 
um, the biggest thing was exactly what we see throughout the story is that um, as the people cohabitated and they intermarried and they um, got assimilated to these other cultures, they forgot who God was and they decided to choose pagan gods and choose their own way rather than um, rather than the truth that God had already given them. And so after God has already done all this stuff for them, um, it only took a matter of a few years for um, this group of people to totally forget, to throw God away, to abandon him, choose a pagan God, choose other gods, um, and bow down to them um, rather than worshiping Yahweh. And so the reason God didn't want them to cohabitate or have this land together was because he knew that they were so susceptible to their own sin to um, to worshiping other gods that um, our God is a jealous God. So he doesn't want to share the glory. He doesn't want to share um, that worship. So essentially for God to say he doesn't want cohabitation is saying that he wants all the glory. He wants the people to remember who he is and know the truth rather than a false gospel that um, feels good for a little bit but doesn't sustain you, you know, for eternity. Hmm. Man, I, th- I think is I hear you even as you're talking, like weaving back and forth between the past tense, like history of judges and then our day to day, because I think there are so many parallels. Um, so many times, like at the end of chapter two and, and then into verse three, this word test comes up. Um, that there was something about God not immediately, quickly, that the last verse of um, the last verse of chapter two talks about how God didn't drive them out quickly because He wanted to test Israel. And um, what I see that how that plays out in our day today is that uh, we live as Christians in a world with non-Christians, and that's okay. That's a good thing. Jesus said in John seventeen that He did not want us to be taken out of the world. So what does he want us to do? Well, he wants us to live out our holiness and and righteousness before God in the presence of a lost and dying world. But so many times what ends up happening is instead of us influencing the world, we get influenced by the world. We get sucked into the world. And I don't know about you, Bama, but my heart, like as I was just li- like thinking tonight as you were teaching, was just like remembering how easily my heart is shifted away from devotion to the Lord, how easily my heart can be pulled into the things of the world. And so there is this balancing act of, um, yes, like living in the world, yes, living on mission, wanting to have friends and wanting to know people who don't know Jesus so that I can, um, you know, care about them and share the gospel with them. But I mean, here's the thing. We don't even have to be, you don't even have to be friends with a non-believer to be influenced by the world. Like if you own a TV and a smartphone and a computer, you can be influenced by the world. So you don't even literally have to be friends with somebody to be, to be influenced by the, the, the idols of our culture. And so I really feel like um, just even already in these first two chapters of Judges, I'm feeling like there's so much that connects to our everyday lives in ways that we have to be so thoughtful about how we're worshiping God and really putting Him first and following Him uh, with our whole heart. Um, man, I don't know. The last thing I kind of just thought we would talk about before we wrap up is um, there's kind of a summary of the whole book of Judges at the end of chapter 2. It's almost like giving us a little preview of what the whole rest of the book is going to be like, and it kind of presents for us this cycle. 
And I really appreciated the way you shared the cycle with us tonight, not only because it gave us a framework for the rest of the book, but also because it highlighted God's character. And so why don't you share kind of your version of this cycle that we see at the end of chapter two, and then land on what that teaches us about God and kind of where we landed on in the class tonight, um, who we can know God to be based on how he was dealing with his people here. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, this cycle is just like a downward spiral of just never ending or seemingly never ending um, same routine that the Israelites faced and that um, that they did get so easily swayed and manipulated by by their uh by the world and uh, their co-inhabitants, the pagan religions, and um, they would find themselves in situations that um, they thought were good, and then the Lord would um, allow the judge to die, and time would pass, and they would groan. And I think the one thing uh, from uh, chapter 2 is um, in verse uh, 18 at the end of it, it says, The Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. And that is just a good, that's like a, just a great encouragement for me in that uh, even though the people chose not to follow God, um, he still had pity over them and he still wanted, he loved them and he wanted them to, he wanted them to, you know, have life and um, have life abundantly. But um, they chose to continue to fall in sin. And so by the grace of God, um, he would raise up a judge for their good that would remind them of his of his grace and his presence and all that he's done for him or done for the Israelites. And um, we find that same cycle happening, though, um, that they would uh, forget. They would forget God's promises, and then they would get um, overtaken, and uh, they would groan, and God would have pity on them. And then another judge would be raised up, and... Uh, the people would experience God's love again. And so it's a really sad cycle of um, just uh, believing uh, false idols and um, quick pleasures. But it's really a beautiful story of how God still loves us and cares for us and provides for our needs and doesn't let us um, ever eternally forget who he is. He always um, is in control and knows um, knows our needs but that discipline that he gives us um, is really what drives us to know him better is that uh, his discipline is good and it hurts but it's for his glory and for our for our benefit you know eternally man that's awesome well, um, guys this is just a little taste of what we've experienced in judges so far. Um, if you weren't here with us on Sunday evening, uh, we'll be back the next three Sunday evenings. We would love to invite you to come on out. Uh, and if not, we'll be dropping these podcasts every week um, while we're doing this judges study for these uh, Sunday seminars. And so um, just really appreciate Kyle uh, taking the time to really invest in studying so well to, to teach us and look forward to actually diving into the actual judges uh, next week. So um, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, this is the Palmetto Shores Discipleship Podcast, and we will look forward to being back with you next week after we have uh, our, our next study in Judges. Uh, the Lord be with you, be blessed, and um, make all of life, know Jesus and make all of life about him. Thanks, guys.